wait is over, the Tour de France is here at last, and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages live and on demand in Canada. In addition to the Canadian-only broadcast, viewers worldwide can access exclusive on-site coverage, live watch parties with Mike Woods and Swain Tuft, and a host of other behind-the-scenes content. Plus, Flow Bikes is the exclusive home of the Tour de France fantasy cycling game in the United States and Canada. Upcoming live events include Tirreno Adriatico, the Giro d'Italia, Tour of Flanders, and so much more. Don't miss out on the craziest fall of bike racing ever. And when you purchase a Flow Bike subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports network of over 25 sports. Don't miss out. Sign up at flowbikes.com slash velonews. That's F-L-O bikes.com forward slash velonews. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a cold and dreary Tuesday here at the home office in Boulder, Colorado. Yesterday was 90 degrees. Today it is literally snowing outside. And I, say, I bring this up because it is an inside day in the Dreyer household, which means my one-year-old daughter is indoors. And if you hear any yowling and crying in the background, I apologize. We're doing our best here at the home offices. We're all trying to adjust to working from home. And today is one of those adjustment days. Hey, we have a great podcast today. Uh, Jens Vogt is on the line. We're going to break down uh, all the action from today's stage 10, the sprint stage in to Ile de Laurent or Ile de Ré, one of those islands. We're also going to talk about the GC battle. Uh, then we have an audio diary from TJ Van Garderen, uh, his dispatch from the Tour de France. And we have another dispatch from James Start and Andrew Hood, who were there for the COVID-19 testing and all of the uh, hubbub going around um, after riders were tested on Monday and results were published on Tuesday. So before we get to that, the man himself, Jens Vogt, is on the line from Germany. Jens, we saw an exciting sprint stage that finished with Sam Bennett taking an emotional win, overcome by emotion after the finish. He's crying and talking about how much it meant to him. Um, and to me, it really... Um, it was a story that really brought up the backstory of Sam Bennett, which is a guy who's been waiting and looking for his Tour de France opportunities for years and years and years, finally gets it, finally gets that win. I'm curious from you, you know, having been in situations like that, what is the emotion of taking your first Tour de France win, especially when you've been waiting for a while to get that opportunity? Well, in his case, he's not a nail pro making it in his first year, and he's just, he's not young and unexperienced. He's like, you know, a proper, like mature bike rider already. He was waiting for that um, Tour de France start, first of all, to happen, and also for the stage win. Um, plus, don't forget, whoever sprinter is with Team Quickstep is the dominant sprinter of the Tour. We saw that with Ilya Viviani last year. With Mark Cavendish some years ago, he ended up winning three or four stages. Marcel Kittel ending up winning three or four stages with Quickstep. So the, 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 um, the, the way we see it is you go to quick step and you start winning. That wasn't the case with Sam Bennett. So he had to fill in a big pair of shoes. But I'm sure he felt the pressure from the outside as well. His team, his partners, his sponsors. Um, and that's why he became so emotional. Like you could almost see that burden of that pressure falling off his shoulder. Like, okay, I finally arrived where I want to be, where I belong to be in the first line amongst the fastest sprinters in the world. And now that um, he got this initial win, who knows? Maybe he goes for number two tomorrow. Yeah, like you said, it was relief. And he said that, you know, he, he was happy, obviously, but he was relieved um, to have won it because, I mean, imagine what happens if he comes to this tour and doesn't win a stage. Like you said, Quickstep has this plug-and-play situation, great lead-out train. You can put any fast sprinter in there, and they seem to win. And so Sam Bennett doesn't want to be the guy who comes into a situation like that and doesn't win because that impacts his uh, ability to get jobs down the road. That impacts so much. So like you said, it, it really did seem like it was relief. Well, And also, imagine how Sam, Sam feels. Sam, Sam is a really nice person. She's just a nice human being. And imagine every day he sits in a peloton and he sees his friend and team member, Tim DeClerc. So today this, the tour has done about 1,700 kilometers in total, right? We are close to cover half of the distance. Out of this, or let's, let's put it in miles. Let's say there are about 1,000 miles down the road. Out of this 1,000 miles, 
his team member, Tim DeClerc, probably spent easy 500 miles in the front chasing a breakaway. Can you imagine how you feel? You see the trust and the confidence your team puts into you, the sacrifices they make, and all you want is to win for them almost more than you want to win for yourself. You want to win for your loyal team members to give the boys a chance to go, yep, it was absolutely worth sacrificing himself. That, I think, became one of his biggest motivations to actually say thank you to the boys for working so much, so loyal, and never asking him anything, just head down working, and finally could deliver. And I believe that was probably the biggest relief that today he felt, okay, I didn't let down the boys. They worked, they believed in me, and I actually did deliver. So I believe super happy about that. The other storyline I thought that's interesting coming out of Bennett's victory is, you know, for years and years, Bennett was the second-tier sprinter on Bora Hansgrohe. He was behind Peter Sagan, which meant he was never really going to get a Tour de France opportunity because Sagan is going to have those opportunities. And it seemed like he, you know, he was getting passed over for the Giro d'Italia, for Pascal Ackermann, and it really seemed like Bora Hansgrohe with Emmanuel Buchmann and Sagan kind of had its Tour de France strategy and big players set. So now we see Sam Bennett, he leaves the team and he's winning. Meanwhile, Bora is not having a great Tour de France. Sagan, okay, he's challenging for the green jersey, but in these situations where he should be contending for the stage when he's not, Bookman's run at the yellow jersey is over. Um, you know, as, as a German, Jens, what's your assessment of Germany's biggest team and what's gone wrong in this year's tour? Well, I'm sure there are um, a few people at uh, Bohart's Gore going, oh, I wonder what happened. Like, the guy we left is actually winning. But in all fairness, we have to say, until start of this year, nobody would have ever picked anybody but Sagan. The guy is a superstar, three times world champion, seven times green jersey. So of course he was always the safe bet and the number one, right? Um, and Sam Bennett, he played uh, his role in um, you know in the team, but finally he went. Look, I, I also want to look for chances for myself, and he made. He, got up there or he actually produced the bravery to go um no i think i'm gonna go somewhere else to look for my own chances first i'm sure that sam is better than last year at the same time peter is not as good as he used to be you know he's still ten thousand times better than i ever was but we all remember sagan in the last seven years right normally he would be leading that green jersey with like easy 50 or 100 points advantage at this time, at halfway through the tour or, you know, after 10 or 11 days, he would have that jersey right on his shoulders with a comfortable 50 or 100 points lead. Now he's like, what, close to 20 points behind? That's unusual for him because he's missing this last little bit from being a very good bike rider to be the superstar he used to be or he still is. But he's missing a little bit in his speed. So he's still one of the main contenders for green. But it's not a present. It's not a given yet that he's going to get it. Now that he won the stage, um, he goes, look, pure speed, I'm quicker than Peter. I just got to make sure that Peter doesn't jump in a big way in the mountains to get points where Sam Bennett cannot get points. If he manages that, he has a really good chance. Sam Bennett has a really good chance to take that yellow jersey. Peter Zagan, he got to be still finished second, third, fourth at the finish. But you also got to go to breakaways to get this precious 20 points somewhere out there behind that first mountain. There, you will have trouble with Matteo Trenti, who is also a rider that is looking for a green jersey. And he also makes point at the harder stages. So it, it, it's, it's a tricky business. Peter cannot just be strong. He got to be smart if he wants that green jersey um, uh, on his shoulders in Paris. Sam Bennett is a way too nice person. He will not rub it into Team Boa. For sure, he, he, he just won't go there and go, see, I told you, he's just too nice of a person for that. But I'm sure it does. It did cross his mind once or twice. He goes, oh, that actually feels pretty good. You know, I told him for years, hey, give me a chance, I'm good. And now he can go, see, I am good. So for sure, it did miracles for his confidence and his happiness. But back to Boa Hans Grower, yes. Emmanuel Buchmann is not going to go for the podium, let alone winning, you know. Um, 
I think he might even struggle to hold the top 10. If I um, respond to I go, you know, <clears throat> tomorrow at 10K to go, you stop at the side of the road and you just wait for 10 minutes and then you finish the stage 10 minutes behind. That way, you are allowed to go on a break first in the mountains. Because the way it is now, he is um, still in the top 20, he was five minutes down. So he is way too close that they would let him get away in a break, right? I mean, Bernal and Pogacar, um, Roglic, they all know Bimanel Buchner was four last year. So he's only at five minutes. There's no way in hell they give him five minutes and a breakaway, right? So he would need to be at 15 minutes. And then you go, oh, you know what? He's 15 minutes behind. We let him go on a break for five, six, seven minutes. But five minutes, it's just, just a terrible timing. He is too close to go on a break, but yet he's not strong enough to force the break, right? So he should just stop somewhere else off the road, drink a tea, wait 10 minutes, and then go for stages. Because for sure, he's good enough to win a stage in the mountains, but he's not good enough to challenge the top five or the top six riders in the GC. So they need to change the strategy. Also, since Peter Zagan's dream of a green, it's not a given either they might have to sacrifice one or the other thing. Should we still all support Buchmann or should we support all Peter Zagan? Because if they try to help both and do both, they might end up nowhere in GC and in the green. I think they might be forced with, okay, let's look at our troops. Let's reassess the situation. And we might be forced, that's what they may be going to say in a meeting, we might be forced to say, Emu, you on your own, try to win stages, have fun with that. But the green jersey is a bigger goal and a more realistic chance for us. We're going to go all, all in for Peter Zagan and the green jersey. Well, the green jersey battle is not done, and it's going to be an interesting one to follow over these next few days because we have some hilly stages, some flat stages, some transition stages before we get to the Alps. Jens, we got to talk about this battle for yellow. We did not catch up after the Pyrenees. We're a few days here after the Pyrenees, but I'm really interested to get your take on what we saw there on the stage over the Paris Sword and Mary Blanc with, you know, Pogachar being the attacker, Roglic riding into yellow, Bernal looking pretty strong. I mean, what are what are your big takeaways from what happened this weekend and what the uh, fight for yellow? If it goes uphill, seriously uphill at a serious speed. There's a little bit of Karapach left, but not really anybody had to help Egan Bernal. Egan Bernal, he is strong enough to stay with the best. Um, so Team Ineos is not strong enough. Team Jim Smart, they did spend a lot of energy and a lot of time in front of Peloton. And I'm not sure if all of that was necessary and if they maybe have used too many matches already. Remember, we still have uh, 12 or 13 days to go in the Tour de France. It's far from over. Some hard stages to come. And it seems that when the race really gets hard, nobody has a helper, has a teammate there. Quintana is alone. Roglic is alone. Because even Dovalin gets dropped when, when it get, really when it gets fast. Pogacar is alone. Um, Bernal is alone. So it's leader against leader. We just don't see like a team... Ineos, a team Sky, like the last years, just driving it and nobody's able to move and they still have four guys together. It's really man against man. And there, one tech mistake, you wait too long to chase or not, you don't jump, it might change the race completely. So um, also for Bernal, he should not just focus on getting the yellow jersey. He also needs to look behind to make sure Guillaume Martin doesn't pass him that Pogacar doesn't come back. Pogacar is one of the strongest riders in the race at the moment. So he is, Pogacar is forced to attack in the Alp because he needs to come back from the time he lost at the crosswind sections. Rigoberto Uran, he's quite the quiet achiever. He's like a sniper. He just sits there, sits there, sits there, and then he goes, bang, one shot, one kill. So don't count him out. He wasn't podium before, right? So there's a few serious contenders. So Bernard, you also got to make sure that nobody chases him from behind so it's it's an interesting tour and quite open my podium still would be Roglic second Pogacar and third Bernard that's what I see in the moment 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really compelled by the Roglic side of this story. You know, last year we saw him at the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta España, and it really seemed like two different guys. I mean, he was so strong in the early stages, the Giro, winning those stage, you know, winning the uh, time trial and holding yellow and just being very aggressive to take the pink jersey early. And he paid for it in the second half of the race. You know, he did have crashes and he had bad luck. But, you know, he just he came out of the gates a little strong and we saw a completely different uh, Roglic at the Welta where it was a very measured effort. It was very targeted. He was extremely focused. And in some opportunities, I felt like when he had the opportunity to attack early and and burn energy, he kind of held back. And I feel like we saw that in the Pyrenees, which especially in the Paris Sword Day, he he would chase down moves, but he wouldn't then go over the top and try and put in a move himself. So, you know, even though Yumbo did spend a lot of energy in the Pyrenees, I look at Roglic and I wonder if he's trying to employ some of the lessons he learned from that Giro last year of gauging his effort. Once Roglic the front with Pogacar and Nairo Quintana, why didn't he pull? I would, in that situation, I would have gone, you know what, I am all in. Today, I'm going to kill everybody from position 4 to 10. I'm going to drop them by a minute or minute 30. And tomorrow, I take care about the other two and the podium. But today, we got to eliminate the competition behind us. All to Quintana. Why didn't he pull full on through? He was strong enough. Next day, he lost time because the climb was different. The stage was different. Why didn't he use the chance? It's a pure resort. It's only downhill afterwards. Let's go all into the top. And we already make sure nobody else from behind is going to catch us anymore. I don't know. So for me... Um, from Roglic and also Quintana. It was a missed chance, a lost opportunity. The stage on Saturday on a cold pair resort that they did work together, Quintana, Pogacar and Roglic together to make sure, okay, first of all, we make sure nobody else from behind is ever going to come back to us. So it was a missed chance, I think. And then why would Roglic hold back? The next day he took the jersey anyway. So... I didn't really understand that, but yes, maybe just like you said, he tried to play it more conservative and save some energy because it's still a very long day, long way to go to Paris. Now, I got to say, I mean, as someone who I'm kind of rooting for Roglic, I wanted to see him do just that, especially when Pogacar got the gap and Roglic went with him and Bernal was still in the back. I was like, okay, guys, come on, like, let's go, let's gas this. But he, yeah, he kind of held back. And so... My assumption is just that they're thinking conservatively, but I don't know. Maybe that will, maybe that'll bite them in the butt here once we get into the Alps. I mean, we have these transition stages and massive central stages before we get to the Alps, where everybody knows that Pogachar is going to have to attack. Roglic has to mark Bernal. Like we know what is coming, we just don't know how it's going to play out. Which I, I don't know. I'm the more and more I'm studying the GC battle here, I feel like this is a pretty compelling Tour de France. It is super exciting. Um, we gotta give credit to the organizer to make the race exciting. Give us every day something thrilling, something crazy, something wild to talk about. But yet the top seven in the GC are just separated by one minute, which is very very close. Um, and looking a little bit further to the future, we got that time trial on a second last day that finishes up on the Plateau de Belfi, uh, Planche de Belfi. How sure are we that Roglic is going to win over Bernal? Bernal has done some pretty good time trials before, and it goes really pretty steeply uphill. Um, and knowing Team Ineos, they're probably going to have that perfect bike ready for that day. You know, their strategy about marginal gains. I'm sure they prepared for that day. If they plan with a bike change or if they have a super light TT bike, which she then pulls all the way, they will be ready. In a moment, I would go, it's 55% to 45% that Roglic wins. But still, 45% I would give to Bernal to be better. So, you know, I think you should have used the chance when he had Bernal dropped. If you can drop him now, use it. Make it a minute. But who knows? Time will tell. So, Jens, the next few stages, we head inland from the coast and go across the Massif Central. It's hilly. It's windy. The climbs tend to be steep, if not long, but not very long. 
Um, what are some memories that you have from your own career of racing through the Massif Central? What are the big memories that come to mind? Well, of course, first big memory, my own first stage when it's 2001. Stage from uh, Castel Sarazan, finishing in Saran, and that is right there in the uh, Massif Central. Normally, the next memory is it's sticky hot. Mm. Like, normally in July, there is not too much wind because we are far away from the coast. It's still hard. There's still climbs of 1,000 or 1,200 meters. Yet, there's no gruppetto because these intermediate stages in quotation marks, they super hard. It's survival of the fittest at its purest, right? Because everybody thinks, I got to hang on, I got to hang on. If I get dropped, there's no gruppetto. Uh, I'm not going to go anywhere. If it's a mountain day with three big mountains, you know exactly... We get dropped in the first climb, we come back in the valley, we get dropped in the second climb, and then we just ride together to the finish. Not in the Massif Central. That is not going to happen there. So there's everybody for himself. If you have a bad day, it is very likely that you're not going to see the finish line within the time limit. And also for teams, it's so much harder to control because there's no structure. On a mountain day, it's clear. Easy control in a valley, keep a steady pace on the uphill. In the Massif Central, everybody attacks left, right, in the middle, because also the the riders will break away. They run out of time. They cannot win a time trial. They cannot win in Paris. They cannot win in the Alps. So it's only the next few days where the breakaway specialists have their chance. And I can already see that uh, Thomas, again, he's just itching to go again. There's a whole bunch of riders. They want to go. Some riders don't have a contract yet for next year, like German rider Simon Geschke with Team CCC. Former Tour de stage winner, out of a breakaway. He still haven't got a contract yet, so he is ready to go, you know. Um, so there will be tons of firework in the Massif Central. Well, I am. Uh, I can't wait to watch. So, you know, listeners, keep an eye out for uh, strong breakaways, tired main group, and GC riders, um, you know, seeing some of their energy levels get worn away by these challenging stages. And we are going back to Saran. This is on uh, Thursday, Yen. So I think the next time we link up, I'm going to ask you to tell the very special story of that first stage win of yours. I remember I, I, I watched the 2001 Tour de France, and I remember seeing you uh, win that stage. So we're going to hear all about that from you the next time. Uh, Jens, thanks so much for chiming in on the podcast today. Again, Jens, uh, Jens' segment's being brought to us by Trek and the new Go Buy Bike campaign, which is challenging anyone to replace one car trip with a bike ride once a week. Post about it on social media with the hashtag Go Buy Bike, and you can learn more at trekbikes.com slash go buy bike. Thanks, Jens. My pleasure. Can't wait for the next chat. You heard me talk about it at the top of the show, but the Tour de France is here and Flow Bikes is the place to be. You can watch all 21 stages live and on demand in Canada. In addition to the Canadian-only broadcast, viewers worldwide can access exclusive on-site coverage, live watch watch parties with Canadians Mike Woods and Swain Tuff. That sounds like fun. And a host of other behind-the-scenes content. Plus, Flow Bikes is the exclusive home of the Tour de France fantasy game in the United States and Canada. Subscribe today by going to flowbikes.com slash velonews. That's F-L-O-Bikes.com forward slash Velonews. I want to party with Mike Woods and Swain Tuff right now. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay. Hi, I'm TJ. I ride for EF Pro Cycling. Um, so, so much of the media around the tour has focused on, on how different the race is with COVID-19 protocols and team bubbles and the lack of fans and media. As a rider, how differently does this Tour de France feel when compared to a normal tour? It, it's certainly different. Uh, the tour, usually the what separates it from other races on the calendar is just how massive the media circus and the parades and the fans and how everyone wants access to the riders. Usually we have just like a sea of reporters or fans wanting autographs, especially when Rigo's around. Um, and now there's none of that. Um you know, our, the hotel list would usually be, you know, released to the public. So we'd get fans outside, um, outside the hotel as we're entering, just asking for autographs. Or they'd come at you with a stack of 20 cards because they want you to sign one for each one of their family members or something. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot quieter. It's, uh, 
it's interesting that way. I mean, the racing itself is no different. We're in, still doing the same courses. I think every rider looks every bit as prepared. I mean, if you look at the numbers that um, people are putting up, the level is just as high as it is every year. But uh, everything outside of the race just feels has a different feeling about it. Is there anything to the daily routine that has changed compared to before? Well, we have to take our temperature checks in the morning. Um, I don't know. There's there's definitely a lot more hand sanitizer being flown around, you know, wearing the masks. Um, and yeah, just, to, just I guess, the interactions with people. I miss seeing people's faces. You know, even right now you're wearing a mask. It's, uh, it's just kind of a little bit like, hmm, you know, it's, 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 I know it's been months now that this pandemic has gone on, but it's still one of the things I'm, I, I still haven't gotten used to it. Yeah, it's surprising actually how much you sort of like rely on seeing the whole person's face to get an expression, isn't it? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and for, for you from like a social standpoint of the bike, if you see, how does that feel not having that interaction with like other teams uh, of the bike potentially? For example, if you're in a hotel and stuff, would you have gone and met up for like grabbed a coffee with riders beforehand on other teams or not really? Um. One area where we would maybe socialize with some of the competitors would be in the Tour de France village. You know, they'd always have that um, that village where, you know, you could get a coffee or, or a Coke or, you know, a couple of snacks and just kind of hang out uh, for the 45 minutes before the stage starts. Um, I was never really one to hang out there too much anyways because I was always, you know, busy I'm always kind of scrambling last minute with things, pinning numbers on, getting sunscreen on. I don't know where anyone finds the time to go there, but um been in there a few times and it is fun to kind of catch up with some people. And um, But yeah, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of socializing going on with other teams in the tour anyways in that regard. Okay. And um, we always read about how nervous and aggressive the peloton is during the open week of the tour. Does this year feel any different or has it felt any differently at all this year? No, I think uh, it's been just as aggressive and just as nervous. And um, I mean, you saw that especially on stage one with all those crashes. Uh, obviously, the roads were wet and slippery, but it was also partly because of the nervousness of the teams. Um, once the GC kind of settles itself a little bit and there's bigger gaps, the fighting becomes a little bit less uh, because, you know, the hierarchy is already a little bit established, which teams are going to be more in the front. Um, but, yeah, it's still getting in the breakaways and stuff. You know, a lot of guys want to get in there. We saw yesterday the break took, you know, 70 kilometers to get started. So um, you have to push your way and elbow your way up to the front in order to try to slip in one of those. And do you think around the whole COVID situation, do you think that that's kind of changed the attitude of people within the peloton? Obviously, we know that there's kind of like people spit in places and stuff like that. Or does, has that kind of changed at all within the peloton? Or have people been a bit more careful about things like that where it's just same as usual? Honestly, I think um, right now, in as we're racing the Tour de France, we probably feel safer now than any than we would just living our normal lives. Because if we were at home, we would have to go to the grocery stores. We'd probably have, I don't know if we'd have kids in school um, who that we'd be bringing home. And um, But now in the bubble, we've all gotten tested. Uh, we all know that everyone's negative and we all know how high the stakes are if there are positive tests. So, I mean, I, we all know that the riders have taken the measures even the weeks before the tour started to ensure that they were quarantined and isolated. So, um so as far as like us contracting things with other riders, we don't even think about that. And it's more, um, we're, we're almost sort of protective of our, of our bubble. So if a, a fan asks for a selfie, um, we kind of, you know, we, we do, it's almost like we're, we're afraid to even like talk to them, which I feel bad about because cycling, it's, it's been one of those sports where usually the fans have such access to us riders and that's what people love about the sport. But, um, yeah, as far, yeah, like I said, as far as rider to rider, we, we all know that we're, we're safe because, you know, we're in this bubble. And 
I mean, obviously within the peloton, when you guys are having, although there's not been that many moments where it's been that calm this last week, but there's moments where there's downtime and there's a, there's a conversation within the peloton. Has it only been about kind of COVID or what kind of topics have been coming up uh, this last week? Um, honestly, COVID is not really a topic that has come up much. Um, I mean, a lot of the topic is just about, oh, I can't wait to get to the rest day. And then once that rest day is done, you can't wait to get to the next rest day. And then once that rest day is done, you can't wait to get to Paris. Like, um, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, like, oh man, that was the hardest stage I've ever done or that like, or just, just normal stuff like that. Um, yeah, the COVID talk, I can't, that hasn't been, that hasn't come up too much actually. It's good. It sounds like it's a nice place to go and have a break from it all. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Um, so this, uh, just moving on to a different, slightly different topic. Um, I know you're a huge NBA fan. The biggest story around the NBA this year was how the players were able to come together to make huge changes to the sport. They came together to get the season restarted and to, together to protest after the shooting of George Floyd uh, and other things. What would need to happen in pro cycling for the riders to have that kind of power? Wow, that's a question. Um, honestly, I think uh, cycling they would have to they would have to have a, a stronger union and maybe a collective bargaining agreement so that there was more of a more of a share in you know what goes on on the on more the political level in terms of like you know where the revenues split and and all of that because they. And I, I think uh, what cycling's maybe missing is is a big star. You know, in the NBA, it's a star-driven league. Everyone goes to see LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard. You know, those are like the name brand people. And in, in cycling, you know, you, you obviously have the people that you root for. But uh, it, I feel like it's less so because we're so disguised. We have a helmet. We have sunglasses. So it's like, you know, if, if LeBron James says, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a knee or I'm going to maybe – boycott a game you know people listen whereas if the cyclists do it I, I feel like you know that it can almost get a little bit ignored or swept under the rug I, I feel like we're I know that we're the actors in the play but I feel like we're the least important part of the play because you know people tune into the Tour de France because of its history they don't necessarily tune into the Tour de look I mean you know some of the sports biggest names, uh, you know, Chris Froome and Garrett Thomas, they're, they're not even in the race this year, but the race goes on. And now that we're nine days in, no one really seems to miss them. Yeah. I guess like the closest we've seen in the tour this year was kind of on the first stage when like Tony Martin and Ian Boat told everyone kind of brought it under control and told everyone to kind of, um, slow the, the racing down to just make that descent safer. Um, do you think that now that kind of happened, do you think that that could be a catalyst for more things like that to kind of start and happen? We'll see. I mean, I hope so. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly if there's situations where it really is a danger to us riders that I feel like we would have sense enough to come together and, you know, take matters into our own hands. And, um, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, the, the riders, they, you know, that of all, of all the entities in cycling, you know, you have the, the race organizers, you have the UCI, the governing body, and then you have the team organization, which I think is called the AIGCP. So that's, they represent the team's interest. And then there's the riders come on to, to the individual level. They, um, they're the ones with the smallest voice. So if it, if it's like a, a protest sort of thing, you know, that, that could happen. But as far as getting real, real change to happen, that requires some real organization and some, and some funding behind it. Cause you would have to have, you know, smart people to, to manage it. And in order to get smart people, you have to pay them. And, you know, in order to convince a rider to say, Hey, do you want to give up 3% of your salary to help fund this union? They might be like, well, I don't know. I, I kind of like that 3% of my salary in my bank account. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to solve it. I really hope that the momentum goes forward and writers continue to speak up like this. But to say that it's going to get to the level that the NBA is at, I don't really see that happening. Um, because you also, you, you 
kind of juxtapose the the NBA to the NFL and the NFL, the players they're they're in the same boat, um, basically as us cyclists. You know, you, you they have they have no voice or a very small voice and a very weak union, and um, and the owners basically run the show there. Before we get to Andrew Hood and James Start, I want to talk to you guys about an exciting new wrinkle we have with our Active Pass membership. Look, we launched Active Pass about two months ago, and since then we've had a ton of signups, and I've ha- I've gotten a lot of messages from readers, uh, both positive, "Hey, I love this thing," and also saying, "You know." Active Pass is cool, but there's elements of it that don't really apply to me. I'm not super interested in coaching or access to live events. What I really want is the content. I want Vela News Magazine. I want access to the daily exclusive content and all the stuff you're doing around the Tour de France. Well, guess what? We have a new membership that is catered to you if you are one of these people. Um, it's called Velo News Pass. It is $49 for an annual subscription and it includes all of the exclusive content on VeloNews.com. So that's all of the membership roundtables, hoodies column, um, archive pieces, daily analysis, and exclusive news pieces. Uh, in addition to a year subscription to VeloNews Magazine, that's nine issues. And we're also throwing in the industry deals like pro deals to Jordana Um scratch labs some other companies in there and yeah that's what's included in the new velo news pass it's 49 dollars. you can learn more or sign up at velonews.com slash active pass but this is a new a new membership product i'm really excited about it again you know this was born from a lot of readers um and your feedback so continue to reach out via social media or web letters at velonews.com and if you want more information on Active Pass or VeloNews Pass, check out VeloNews.com slash Active Pass. Okay, let's hear from Andy Hood and James Start. James, 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 where are we, James? Uh, actually, Ildre. Um I've actually been looking forward to this stage for um, since the tour was announced because these these are really um, special islands. It's a different world out here, uh, Ile de Lorient, where we started in Ile de Ré, where we finished today. And I've actually never come to them, but um, I've always been really fascinated by them. And so I was happy to be able to spend a day here. I thought that the stage itself was going to be a little more spectacular in terms of just beauty and landscape and stuff. Um, I thought we were going to have, you know, when I saw the race route going along the seaside, uh, along the Atlantic coast, I was like, wow, this is going to be spectacular, great picture opportunities. But most of the time, the road that on the map is right along the seaside is tucked between like pine forest and dunes. And unless you're in a helicopter, you don't really get a sense of that you're right on the Atlantic Ocean. We thought we were like ride, riding through the uh, sand hills of South Carolina. Exactly. I thought it was toward a more country, you know, it was just like, uh, it was, it was crazy, but um, it was, it was, it was fun. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was, and it was, you know, racing wise, it was a crazy day. Yeah. Spectacular scenery out here, kind of the Western, uh, Western coast of France, you know, quite desolate country, but a lot of crowds today. Uh, the vacation season's not quite over yet, so we were both, both surprised at how many fans were really lining the course really along most of the route today. Just a spectacular day. You know, here it is getting into uh, mid-September. The tour has never been at this time of the year, and you notice a little bit of different light in the road. You know, trees are starting to change a little bit, a little bit crisp uh, feeling in the mornings, but just one of those awesome days uh, out here. Yeah, the, the sun is still hot, but the air is cooling off. I said I think this weekend it's supposed to heat up again. Uh, it's not going to be you know, a July uh, heat wave, but it's it's going to be heat. It's going to heat up. Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, spectacular racing uh, at the end. Of, you know, it was we. You know, one of the big questions before the start was the wind, the wind, the wind, and we checked it out last night. It's eh, fifteen kilometer winds, eighteen. That's not spectacular. Um, this morning it was like dead still. Yeah, We're like well, geez, I mean, we don't have we don't have anything. And I remember talking to Cedric Vassar, um, who's the manager of Kofidis this morning, and you know, and he's directing Guillaume Martin, who's currently in third place, who's a climber. I mean, this is kind of a you know potentially hazardous day for the GC riders. And I said, well, you know, looks like there's not that much wind out there, so you guys should be okay. He's like, you know what, today's stage is going to be a difficult stage for anybody. You know, the one thing was, you know, we're going on some really wicked narrow roads, not that far from the finish. And then when you got through, was it La Rochelle? And opened up 
and started going, making your way to the causeway and the big bridge to the Ray. Well, I'll tell you, those were more than uh, 20k an hour winds. That really picked up hard, and you could see it. I mean, the pack was the pack. You know, guys came in well off the back. The pack splintered on several occasions. Um, so you know, it, it, it was plenty crazy. Yeah, what's, it was kind of protected most of the day. The wind wasn't too strong at the start, and then once it looped back around, it really was uh, protected. It was almost a headwind there for a while, crosswinds. And once it kind of really turned into that, uh, the last 20 k's really things got really ramped up, went over that bridge. And then once it tucked back into the Ilde Array, it was uh, protected by these pine trees and going in. It was almost a headwind, really, for the last 5 k's. So that kind of tamped things down in terms of the nerves driving into the finish. I think all the GC guys got in on the same time. But, you know, it's one of those days, Alan Piper told me at the start today, you know, the, the differences so far in this tour, besides the dot time bonuses, which I love talking about, uh, it has been uh, all the dot time differences come, really come through that through the crosswind stage that we saw last Friday. So I think everyone was pretty happy to get to the finish line. But, of course, the, the big buzz this morning, uh, James, of course, was uh, the anticipation and apprehension going into uh, the start today after the COVID-19 controls. Uh, you know, we were working our phones this morning trying to figure out what was going on. You know, there was that delay. They said 10 o'clock, press release. Then it was 10.45. Then it got bumped back again. Then the rumor mill started to really churn. Uh, we heard seen this bus. Oh, I haven't seen that bus. Oh my gosh! Can you call and find out where this bus is? It was getting. It was. I mean, it, it was crazy. I was just like, can we just wait this out? And you know, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of reasons why a bus might not show up exactly on time. And we were actually there very early. Yeah, um, we got there early because uh, some of these uh, starts and finishes are kind of crazy getting in there. So we wanted to get in there early. And uh, you know, in the end, there's there a lot of people who were quite relieved. Uh, no, no rider tested positive, uh, which was, I think, a very good sign, a kind of a reflection that this whole bubble concept is working fairly well. Well, uh, you know, the teams are just doing everything they possibly can to keep their riders safe and out of, uh, you know, oh, you know, desanitizing the buses, the hotels. You know, the only time they really come in contact with people that I think could present a danger really are really mixing with people like me and you. <laughs> I'm not saying that just as a joke because, you know, we're not part of this bubble, you know, but we, when we do uh, our interviews, we have our, our, our recorders on a selfie stick. You know, it's a two-meter rule. They want to have that safe distance. You know, we're all wearing face masks. So good news was no riders were positive, no teams were kicked out, but four teams had individual staffers test positive, which is kind of a yellow card, right? So those guys... Well, it is, it, it, you know, and if one more of those teams, uh, one of those teams have a second yellow card, well, then that turns into a red card, and theoretically, they're out of the race. And that could happen this week, or it could happen at the controls, the COVID tests next week. Uh, you know, in a worst case scenario, you know, the, the person, the staff member on that team is walking around with, with COVID, uh, even though they're asymptomatic, and they're passing on to somebody else. So I would assume, I'm not a medical you know, specialist by any means, but I would assume chances of somebody else getting uh, coming up with a positive test on those same teams in the next week is even greater um, but I, I don't know I don't want to be a you know I don't want to be a, a fear monger here because I'm not a medical specialist I, you know and it was obviously interesting that the fifth the first person was the Tour de France director Christian Prudhomme um, who is not in the race bubble um, he is actually just like us um, you know he's out there he's kind of and, and you know you have to understand Prudhomme's job He's essentially a politician, and he is the one that is schmoozing with all of the dignitaries. Every ville, every town, every start village, every finish village has dignitaries who have invested heavily in getting the tour to come there. And he is the one who knows them. He knows them all by first name. He's had meetings with them all year long, and he can, you know, he he can do what he can to um, to, uh, to 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 protect himself. And you know, obviously, he's taking as much care as anybody. But um, he is in contact with a lot more people than anybody on the team. The teams are really in their bubbles, and they're really respecting that, as far as I can see. Um, and he is not able to do that. Um, so he's not in the race bubble. He tries to stay away from it, kind of like we do. But, you know, he's he's in contact with a lot of people, and you can take all the precautions in the world, but it's hard to, I, you know, I, I think it's hard to sometimes avoid these things. Yeah, so uh, Christian Prudhomme is going home for eight days. He'll be retested at the end of next week. And if he's uh, healthy and, and, and uh, doing okay, he'll be back on the race. And, of course, everyone here at Valley News, of course, wishes uh, Mr. Prudhomme and everybody else who tested positive that they're going to be okay. But, the, you know, the big thing with, with uh, these, these four staffers and these four teams, uh, you know, we've got four top ten riders in those teams. Egan Bernal, uh, Guillaume Martin, uh, Roman Bardet, 
That's that's two, three, four in this tour. And then also Adam Yates, who's still in the top 10 after losing time the other day, losing the jersey. So if those teams are out of the race, that's going to have a massive impact on this tour. Destroy this tour. That would just, I mean, what's making this tour so interesting is so many guys still in the running. Um, and new faces, you know, I mean, we don't know. Pocasar's potential. Guillaume Martin is having a race of his life. I just did a feature on him. I've known him for a long time. And he's, you know, he doesn't have the palm rest that some of these guys has, has. But if you look at his results since we've returned to racing, he's been one of the best riders out there. He's been third on the podium in uh, the Ventoux Classic. He's third at the Dauphiné. He's just been riding strongly uh, and consistently since the return to racing. And, you know, he's on a world tour team this year, moving up, got more responsibility, got more support. And he's showing it. And he's a very, he's a small rider. He's just, he re, it was, you know, it's interesting. He went down today as, you know, he wasn't alone, but I was surprised because he is somebody who rarely goes down. He rarely gets caught out in a bad split and he rarely crashes. Um, so, you know, there's all these kinds of riders that we don't know how good they are. I'm not saying that, you know, he's a tour winner, but he's definitely a, po a podium potential. He's in third right now and he's, we're halfway through this race. So, um, yeah, if, if all of a sudden some of these teams get a second one, a red card, as you say, and are getting pulled out for that, well, that would really be devastating. Yeah, I hope that this tour doesn't become a, a Tour de France with a big asterisk next to it for something like that. Because uh, so far, I mean, we are at the halfway point today. I think the tour has gone better than I think everybody expected. I kind of came in here, you know, not really knowing what we'll be what we'll be seeing uh, from, during this during this uh, you know this whole kind of pandemic tour. Uh, things have been going pretty well. I mean. You know, everyone's here. Everyone's kind of respecting the rules, doing the right things. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, the, the rule is a second test within uh, a week. So they kind of uh, they kind of built a little bit of a little bit of a wiggle room there in terms of, uh, you know, so so those four teams will be walking on eggshells uh, for the next week. And the split of the teams, you know, we had uh, two French teams and uh, two very international teams. Um, you know, the, the COVID doesn't, yeah. you know, have borders or boundaries. You know, there's just, you know, I think and I think that that the the diversity of the teams shows how everybody's vulnerable and everybody's pretty much doing the same effort to make sure this doesn't happen yeah and the way this is going to work is the next test are at the end at the next rest day but under in the rules if anyone is is symptomatic they have to undergo a test so if they're coming in with a fever or a sore throat they're not breathing right any of there's a whole list of symptoms that the doctor is checking everyone staff and riders inside the bubble twice a day once in the morning and once in the evening so if anyone is uh, putting up some red flags they have to be tested under this protocol and so the, there is a slim chance that someone if they are sick could start showing more symptoms and uh, flashing uh, some red lights and possibly test within this next week so we'll be keeping an eye on that story and uh of course the other big story today uh one of the favorite riders in the bunch sam bennett won his first uh, breakthrough uh tour de france stage victory he'd raced a couple tours a couple years ago with uh bora never really came close to a stage win uh you know he really evolved as a sprinter never came close to it he was a lantern rouge the last time he raced here well there you <laughs> go you know, he was just he was not at all the same rider he is today he's evolved so much it's not even funny we've been waiting for him to, to break out um and I had him, actually had him down today. I just thought so did that, I. Did you, well, if yes, if you check our pre-race uh, Instagram story, yes. you will see it. We were in total agreement this morning on the bridge uh, leaving the, the race uh, out of Ile de Lorient. Uh, it just seemed like the quick step team was going to be able to chaperone him through the winds, and they did, and that he was going to have a stay finally, and he did. And yeah, he's a really great guy, and we're you know really happy for him. Yeah, we saw uh, Caleb Ewan coming up. Uh, couldn't quite get around him. The bike stab wins it for Sam. I mean, you know, you see guys get emotional in the sport. But, man, Sam Bennett really was uh, just so emotional there at the finish line, just crying, uh, you know, holding nothing back. I mean, that, that just shows how much he wanted this, how much he needed it. He kind of came in to quick step. You know, that team has a, a real culture there of sprinters. They've had, you know, some of the greatest sprinters in the last decade come through that team. Uh, Kittle, Cavendish, Gavidia, Viviani. So he, you know, he was next in line. They brought him in across from Bora. He was looking for that chance to be the uh, the main leader of a sprint train. You know, Bora was getting kind of crowded with uh, Ackerman and, and Sagan. So he, you know, he he moved across to Quickstep. And this whole season, he's been saying every race he's going to. Man, I'm under so much pressure to win. You know, Tour Down Under, Perry Nice, every race he went to, and and you know, he really had the pressure here because you know these sprints, there's not that many opportunities in the Tour. And you know, you got Ewan, he won. Uh, he was, you know, he kind of messed up the other day. He got it today, so it just just the emotions of this game pouring out. Well, you know, Quick Step is one of those teams. That, you know, 
it's a powerhouse. It's an armada. And they do a lot of things right, but they also expect their, their best stars to, to win. Second place is not a consideration for them. Especially um, for a sprinter. For a sprinter. So, you know, um, it was obviously uh, important for him to get that win to, to show, to sort of, you know, to thank the team for all the investment that they've, they've done because they really, you know, they really this year built a team that was at least equally behind him as Julian Alaphilippe, you know, and they could easily have said, listen, after Alaphilippe had two weeks in yellow, we're going to start to build a team around him, but they didn't. Um, so, you know, they believe in Sam and it was his turn and he's, you know, he was biting the, the bit for the last two seasons really to have more freedom to be able to ride the Tour de France and have a team that would support him uh, entirely. And he, he has that this year and he knew he had to, to, to cash in to, to, to prove, make proof his worth and he did today. Yeah, I mean, you're even seeing over at Bora, you know, they kind of shifted their uh, more towards a, a GC focus with Bukman and those guys coming up. And Sagan's the one who doesn't really have a lot of support now at uh, at Bora. You know, Daniel Ose is there, but, uh, you know, free, you know, freewheeling once again. Sagan, I think he came in third today. Uh, and Bennett, you know, gets the points back, back in the points jersey. And someone asked Bennett, you know, at the, at the press conference, you know, which would you prefer, the Champs-Élysées? Or would you uh, want to win the green jersey? And he said that uh, you know, the three races he dreams of winning are the World Championships, Milan, San Remo, and on the Champs Elysees. But he paused there. He said, "You know what? This green jersey means a lot more to me now that I'm in it and I'm fighting for it." And he has a lot of respect for uh, Sagan. But he says, "You know, if I have to choose, man, maybe I'd take the green jersey." Well, I don't know if he'll have the right to choose. Uh, we got a lot of mountains, and and the Sam Bennett I know is not somebody who can get over the mountains very easily, and not somebody that can get over even one enough to say get the intermediate sprints. And that's where Sagan's going to pick up the points. Yeah. So tomorrow, James, we have another probably sprint stage coming across. Probably probably the easiest stage on paper, I think, in this tour. Kind of a, one of those rolling transition stages pushes from the west coast inland towards uh, Portier. Uh, I think it's going to be another bunch sprint, sprint, and then we start edging in towards uh, the massive central. So, a couple of transition stages. Um, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Well, I, th- I think sprint, and I think probably you know uh, one of the guys who who's you know outside of Van Art, every the sprints have been you know there's a lot of different guys who have won, and um, it's going to be a chance for somebody to pick up a second stage win. Or maybe a third for Van Aert. Yeah, I think uh, I think Van Aert, we didn't see him in the bunch sprint today. I think uh, the pressure's off him now. In fact, there's been, we heard some comments of, uh, you know, maybe Jumbo Visma getting too greedy. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Van Aert, plus with all that win today, I think they really wanted to stay close to Roglic. Yeah, yeah. The goal now is to protect Yellow. So I'd be, I would be very surprised if we saw, uh, well, Van Aert back in, the, back in the bunch sprint, just because, you know, they can't afford to have him crash. You know, they want him to be right there to, to protecting Roglic all the way to Paris. So we're going to wrap it up. Up, uh, what do you think? Some uh, oysters tonight, James? Oh, definitely getting some oysters on half shell tonight. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's where I'm here in the rain. That's why you come. Right. Oh, well, and uh, cover to bike race. Cover the bike race, of course. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys in a few All days. Right. Have fun. Take care.